0: Job chapter 2. We finished out chapter 1 last week. We we spent two messages in Job chapter 1. and You know, the book of Job, I think more so than any other book of the Bible, lets us see behind the curtain just a little bit at, at some of the, the forces at work and we get to see the sovereignty of God. And, and more than anything over the past couple of weeks... We've seen that ultimately the Lord is in control of our trials. And obviously, you know, Satan had a lot to do with it, but, you know, he only had as much leash as God gave him. And that's the same case in our life that that God is ultimately in control of our trials and he's working all things for the good of them that love God, just like Romans 8 28 says. We can't always understand that, but I think it brings us comfort because ultimately, as I mentioned, when we get in our trials like this and we're hurting and you know, we're asking God to help us, maybe deliver us, and we know he's all loving, we know he's all powerful, and so he's got the power to stop it. And so sometimes you know, our carnal reasoning gets the best of us and we say, well, God, if you really love me and you've really got the power to make this pain stop, why aren't you doing it? Why, why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you doing this? And even in the book of Job in 42 chapters, Job doesn't get that answer, so we don't get that answer. But for all the answers that we don't have, what we do know every single time is that our trials are ordained by God. And that can bring us some comfort in knowing He brought us to it, He'll bring us through it, and there's a purpose in all of it. There's no such thing as purposeless suffering. When we get into chapter 2 tonight, it's, you know, we need to be reminded that Job at this point He's lost his children. They all died, all seven of them. Uh, His servants, most of them have died. His his livestock has been taken away. His means of plowing the fields, which were the oxen, they've been taken away. Uh, And all this happened all at once. All these servants just come out of nowhere, and one by one they line up to tell him this horrible thing. And it was so much to the point, as we said, it's clear that it was not a coincidence. It was something that was divinely orchestrated. When we get into chapter 2 tonight, we'll see the first half of Job is very similar to chapter 1. There's a few key differences that I kind of want to point out before we even get into it. In chapter 1, Satan was not allowed to touch Job's body. That changes in chapter 2. The the trials intensify. And and somebody also, when comparing these two chapters, has rightly pointed out, I thought this was really telling, Uh, in chapter 1... God removes much of the good from Job's life. But in chapter 2, he inserts the negative. And I would be mighty careful in making the statement, well, I don't think things could get much worse than this. Well, they certainly can, and in Job's case, they did. And now in chapter 2, Satan is allowed to touch his body. He is allowed to insert negative into Job's life And uh, so we looked at analyzing our trials last week, and I want to do that again on part two of analyzing our trials. With that in mind, let's read our text tonight, Job chapter 2 and verse 1. We'll read um, the first ten verses. It says, Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in all the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So when Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord, and smote Job with sore, sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown, and he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight, and I just uh, thank you for this opportunity to come to your house again. Thank you um, for the gospel opportunities that uh, we've had this week, and I pray that you would give us more of those on an individual basis, and that every day, whether it be on the job site or maybe uh, at Walmart or whether the case may be that we would be sensitive to the people around us and we would be uh, sensitive to take advantage of those opportunities. Lord, I just pray that you into me of sin and self and fear me holy spirit. I I just my mind is just I've got so much on my mind and and Lord, I just pray that you would help me. Lord that you would give us grace, that you would give me grace and and God that you would make it real tonight and I I pray that if somebody's in a trial, this would help them and encourage them and speak to them. For those that are not in a trial, God, I pray that they would uh, be able to take in these truths and apply it to their lives when the trials do come. Well, we pray that, Lord Jesus Christ, be magnified in everything said and done tonight. It's in Christ's name I pray these things. Amen. There's really three th- three more things that I want to add to what was said last week. We're talking about analyzing our trials here and there's really some truths in this chapter along with that connect to certain parts at the end of the book we're going to look at that have really brought me some personal comfort in the trials that we've been through. But the thing I really want to wrestle with is what can the behind the scenes of Job's trials teach us about our own trials? And the first thing that we really need to zone in on in this text is what I would call the intangibles. You know, some things that I believe are true for every trial, and we need to keep these in mind. Uh, Look at verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to uh, to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord, and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. Now, (laughs) there's a couple of things here that we really can't miss. Uh, You just can't miss this in the book of Job. And the first thing here is that God is once again the one to bring Job up to Satan. And and this is really, I'll be honest, this is a funny text. (laughs) This is a funny text here. I believe there's some humor in this text uh, because it's almost as if the Lord is using a little bit of sarcasm in this exchange with Satan because it's almost word for word identical to what happens in the exchange between God and Satan in in chapter 1. And if you read this, uh, it's almost as if Satan wasn't going to bring up Job. You know, uh, Satan tells God, "Yeah, just take your hand off of him. Let me ha- let me have his blessings. Let me have his children and his livestock, and let me destroy all these things." You know, God. Job only he doesn't love you; he loves what you do for him. Take away all those things; he'll curse you to your face. And God basically said, "No, he loves me for me, and he worships me for me." And Satan says, "Okay, well, you know, take your hand off of him; he'll curse you to, your, to his face." to your face, and, and he did that. Satan attacked him, and what did Job do? He fell down and worshiped the Lord. He said, naked came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. And so not only did he not curse God, he worshiped God, and he recognized that every single good thing that he had came from God. It didn't even belong to him. We talked about that, how nothing we have really belongs to us. It's all on loan from God. Our lives, our children, every day, every heartbeat, every breath, every good thing we have comes from God. And so he can can take that away if he wants to. It doesn't belong to us. And, And so Job recognized this and he proved Satan wrong. And here we have this Uh, next exchange between God and Satan, it's like Satan wasn't even going to bring it up. All that he did to Job, and he's going to come up and talk to God and pretend like it never happened. So, as you read this, you you can almost see the smugness, the way that God brings this up. Hey, And it's almost like they've never had this conversation before. God brings it up again and said, Hey, are you aware of Job? How he's perfect and upright, how he fears God, and he... Shuns evil. And, and it's not that Job was sinlessly perfect. He wasn't. He admits later in the book he is a sinner. Uh, but he's blameless before God. He walks faithfully before God. And yet it, God brings him up again, almost as if to embarrass Satan about his failed remarks. Uh, Job proved the Lord to be right. It was also a testimony to the power and grace of God. And uh, our faith, Uh, when it's tested by these things. There's never better testimony than when Christians suffer gracefully. You know, it's easy to talk about God when you're on the mountain. It's easy to praise God when things are going good and look all churchy and Christiany. That's even a word I just made up. It's easy to do those things when things are good. But when things are bad, that's when you find out what you really have. You know, not only do you find out But the world finds out. And and so, you know, our suffering is a great proving ground to prove that what we have is true. It's not just something we give lip service to. It's not just something we do on Sunday. It is the core of who we are. That we're children of God. And that doesn't change with our trials. It's only proven through those trials. So we, we prove to the world that our faith is real through and in our suffering. But don't forget this. And I really, I didn't hear hardly any preaching about this when I grew up. And maybe uh, someday I'll get to really get in depth on this. But you do realize, and, and we see it here even in our, the text, you do realize that not only is the world watching us, there are invisible forces, both good and evil, that are watching us. Uh, I think about in in 1 Corinthians, it even talks about how uh, the angels, and the book of Hebrews talks about this, how the angels are watching us and how, you know, they've never been human. There's things about our life and our existence they don't understand. And so they see these things, whether we fail, whether we succeed, whether we worship God, whether we're humble. And, And so these things prove the grace of God in our life. Job proved the devil wrong, and he proved God right. And so that's important that we have an audience. I, I think about even Jeremiah when he talked about, he said, my familiars watch for my halting every day. In other words, the people that I'm familiar with, the people that I see every day, they're watching me to see if I fail, to see if I give up, to see if I quit. And here we find that obviously um, the forces of good and evil are watching too in certain situations. I think it's also talking about the intangibles. It's also important to point out once again that God vindicates Job. Look at the very end of verse 3. God is talking about Job and he said, And he still, he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. God once again says that Job has done nothing to deserve this. And yet, God has a plan in it. And as I said last time, I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is as soon as things start to go wrong or you know, we enter into trials in our life, we, we, want, we want to beat ourselves up with the question, what have I done wrong? And it is good to examine our heart and to ask God to examine our heart. Uh, but ultimately, Job's trials did not come because of something he did wrong, but because of what he, he would do right. And so God definitely tests us. He definitely sends trials into our life um, for certain reasons unknown to us. And so I think it's important to kind of lay the groundwork as we look at the intangibles of these trials. And I believe these things are certainly true um, in our trials as well. But the second thing I want you to know is we analyze our trials not only about the intangibles, uh, but I would also want you to know about the intimate nature of trials. A very, very intimate nature here. Look at verse 4. It says, And Satan answered the Lord, and said, Skin for skin, yea, all the man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now. He's daring God again. Put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potter to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Now, I want you to understand that when it comes to trials like this, I'm talking about real trials, real pain, real suffering, real heartache, there is no such thing as an impersonal trial. This is very personal stuff. This is not academic stuff. This is, these touch real life issues. And in Job's case, I mean, I, I know that we read Job. Uh, if you're raised in church, you probably learned about Job in Sunday school. But I don't want you to become complacent and apathetic and used to what he went through. I mean, he lost his children, all seven of them at the same time. Didn't get to say goodbye. Uh, he lost his livelihood, his, his means to plow the fields. He lost his livestock. Uh, and now he's lost his health. And uh, specifically, what this is, uh, to the best of what scholars understand and what they've said, uh, these, I keep wanting to say boils, but I have to make you all understand it's boils. I want you to understand what I'm talking about. I don't know if you've ever had kind of like those oozing sores, and I'm not trying to be graphic about this, but it's an infection that gets under your skin. It causes boils to come up, and it's usually you know, filled with pus, and it's very, very sensitive, very sore. The Bible says he had those from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. And he was in so much agony that uh, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but I remember, I still remember when I was a kid, and I got the chicken pox. Y'all remember that? Y'all ever had that? And like I was just so like <laughs> at some point you just get so tired of itching that you just lose your mind. And, you know, they tell you what or even even poison oak or poison ivy. I've had that before and I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Except for maybe one or two. But anyway, and you know, you, you get to itching those things and what that oil comes oil comes out. And it spreads over the rest of your skin. And guess what? You get more of it. So the more you itch, the more it spreads. And they always tell you, know, parents always tell me, no, don't itch it. Don't itch it. Don't scratch it, you know. Don't scratch it. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to scratch it. And at some point, you realize that it doesn't matter. Like, you just, I mean, you just, it just drives you crazy. And that's what's happening to Job here. He's so miserable. I understand this too. And this is something I think we miss We read over this text too quickly and we don't really understand the background here. But when it talks about him going to sit down in the ash heap, he was taking a piece of pottery now, a sharp piece of pottery, and he is scraping these sores off. He's miserable. He don't even care anymore. And the significance of him going to the ash heap, the ash heap in that day in that culture was always going to be at the town dump, which was outside of town. They would burn their trash. That's not really a place I want to be hanging out. But it's also a lot of times where the outcast would go, like the lepers. And, and you can understand, nobody would want to be around Job. They didn't know, you know if it's something maybe they could get, or, or maybe like leprosy, it was contagious. And so uh, there's a little bit of, of exile going on here. There's a little bit of banishment going on here. And I'm sure at some point he comes back, because obviously he has this conversation with his wife, But, I mean, he is physically in agony. He is emotionally in agony. And and he is scraping these sores. And and so these are real things. I mean, this is real world pain here. This is not just, oh, let's talk about theology. This this is real. But here's what I want you to know about the intimacy of these trials. That, That there are real decisions being made about our lives behind the scenes. And in many cases, we don't get a vote or a warning. But that's the the truth of it. That's why we have to trust God with our life. Uh, Here's what's important, and I I know that the last couple of weeks, I really zoned in on the fact that God is in control of our trials. That's important. But understand, in Job's trials, and I'm sure certainly in ours, Satan does play a part, and this is where this distinction becomes important. God sends trials into our life as an act of love working them for our good and his glory as we said Romans 8:28 but on Satan's part he absolutely wants our destruction. And when we think about our trials, I think probably the best text to illustrate the point that I'm trying to make is at the end of Joseph's uh, toward the end of Joseph's life and at the end of Jacob's life. Yeah, Jacob is dying and the brothers are afraid that when Jacob's gone that Joseph is going to exact revenge upon his brothers for betraying him. And what did Joseph say to them? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And it's the same thing with our trials. We can look at Satan. If if Job had known what was going on behind the scenes, and of course he didn't, but we can read it, he could have easily said what Satan meant for good, or what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. And I believe in our trials, uh, I, I believe that yes, Satan absolutely wants to destroy us. For no other reason than the fact that he is the destroyer. He's a murderer from the beginning. He's a liar. He hates us with a passion, especially God's people. And he doesn't need a reason. He is who he is. And what he means for evil, God means for good. I believe even in our situation, I think I could look at that and say that what Satan is meaning for evil right now, God is meaning for good. And if we can keep that in perspective, I believe it will give us some peace and strength in our storms. Now, now here's something that really... I find this really interesting. And it's a little bit different from chapter 1. But if you notice, um, at first, Satan in verse 5, he tells God. He said, Put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. At first, Satan wasn't asking for God's permission to strike Job down. He was telling God to do it himself. He says, you strike Job down and he'll curse in your face. And God wouldn't do it. God gave permission to, for, to Satan to do it, but he wouldn't do it himself. And I, I love what uh, Matthew Henry said. He said, a permission granted to Satan to make this trial. Satan would have God put forth his hand and do it, but he afflicts not willingly, nor takes any pleasure in grieving the children of men much less his own children. And therefore it must be done. Let Satan do it who delights in such a work. It's important to remember that our trials do have those aspects, God's love and Satan's hatred. And you say, "Well, okay, well I, you know, I get all that, but if he really loved Job, why would he let that happen? Why would he Okay, so God didn't do it by his own hand, but he let Satan do it so the outcome was the same. What's the difference? And if he really did love Job, and if he really does love us, then why doesn't he stop Satan? Why doesn't he stop these things from happening? Well, I I think about what Jonathan Edwards said one time. He said that when God sees our trials, He sees it through two lenses, a broad lens and a narrow lens. He said with the narrow lens, God sees us in our misery. He sees us in our pain. He sees us in our grief, and He is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. He's in there with us. He hurts with us. He hurts for us. As Hebrews 4 talks about, we have a high priest that's touched by the feelings of our infirmities and our weaknesses, and he genuinely hurts for us. But then he sees our trials through a broad lens. And he knows what is going to come out of it. He knows what he wants to do with it. And, you know, even in hindsight, we see what God did with Job's trials. He, he gave him double what he had and glorified himself through that trial. We see Joseph and how he was sold into slavery. And 13 years later, he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. We saw what God did with that. We see the cross where the innocent Lamb of God was brutally murdered. And I'm sure at the time, it probably seemed like nothing good was going to come out of that. But we see the end result of that. That's not always true with our trials. We don't always get to see everything. But in eternity, we'll look back and we'll see everything the way that God sees it. Uh, I've often heard it like this. Uh, You know, uh, maybe for those that that, uh, sew something or weave something or uh, crochet something, Uh, I know, uh, you know, those like those old singers or, uh, you know, when somebody, um, I'm trying to think of what it's called. It's a specific type of quilting. But before it's finished, if you were to look from the bottom, all you see is the excess yarn, the excess string. The, it just looks like gnarly, like it's all messed up. And you look at that and you say, man, that's ugly. But then you look at it from the top side, the way that it's supposed to be. You say, man, that's, that's beautiful. That's gorgeous. And, of course, the gnarly stuff gets taken care of later and the whole thing looks like that. But, man, what a great, what a great picture of how God sees our trials and what He's doing with our trials. And so, I want you to understand that when it comes to our trials, uh, the best reaction to have is simply what Job did. And that's to worship Him because the truth is, there's no way that Satan can get to us unless we self-destruct. Satan doesn't have a key to our house, so to speak, but we can open the door for him. And, And I would say that often... Uh, it's not necessarily our actions that get us into trouble. It's our reaction. It's our reaction to things. And, and I can say this, uh, Job reacted rightly. As we'll see uh, getting into this, he was definitely grieved. He was upset. He wished for death. He wished he'd never been born. All these things that we can certainly understand, but he never cursed God. He never charged God foolishly. And he reacted right. If you don't... Here's my here's my ace card I'll throw out. If you don't hear anything else that I say tonight, listen to this. Make it a practice in your Christian life of reacting right. That means that there's going to be some times where you have to step out of your emotional box, you know, go scream into a pillow, go pray, you know, go do what you have to do, but react right. Sometimes that's a art that is hard to learn. But in all this, Job did not curse God. He didn't sin with his lips. He honored God. And so, but we we do see the intimacy of trials. Now let me say this because I don't want any confusion. Are You say, Brother Brandon, do you think that every time that somebody gets sick, it's an attack from the devil? Or or every time somebody gets a cold or the flu, oh, that's just the devil right there. I don't necessarily believe that. I don't, I don't think there's any... Necessity to do that, but I will say this: there is no sickness and no suffering that isn't ordained and allowed by God. We can say that because there is no such thing as uh, purposeless suffering or sickness. I don't believe that, and I don't believe it's always in a direct attack from Satan, but it is always allowed and and decreed by God. Uh, and, and you know, it is our trials are intimate, man. They're, so, they're just so personal. I. Uh, I mean, how do you, and in Job's situation here, I mean, he's lost his children. That's, that's really personal. He's lost his means of income. That's, that's really personal. Uh, you know, he's lost his, many of his servants. Uh, now he's lost his help. That That's the most intimate thing I can think of. And if you want to just get an insight to who our enemy is, I mean, Satan is merciless. He doesn't care. And, I mean, think about it. Job can't even see Satan. Job can't defend himself against Satan, and neither can we. And yet he's striking his very body. And I would say on a personal level, I mean, how do you, how do you have impersonal cancer? How, how do you have impersonal like what Leah has right now? That's, that's very personal. Um, there's no such thing as an impersonal trial like that. And yet it's allowed by God, and he guarantees us victory in and through it one way or another. I mean, there is no more comforting thing than that. Um, but then number three, and i want to try to get this in. Number three, I'm going to talk about the in- intricacy of our trials. Very intricate. They're very detailed. There's, there's nothing left to chance. There's nothing that hasn't been well thought out. And, um, and so every detail is thought out. Look at verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. And we can say this about Job he kept his woman in line. Amen. And uh, so next time your woman just starts talking foolishly, you just tell her. You just. just just, y'all know I'm kidding, right? <laughs> I don't I don't want to do any marriage counseling, okay? But um, here's some things that I find. Man, these details here are just so intricate. Every detail is amazing to me. You know, I think about, first of all, what Satan said to God. Look at verse 5 again. He said, put forth thine hand now, touch his bone in his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And look at what Job's wife, the advice she gives him. Curse God and die. Where do you think that came from? Where do you think that thought came from? came from Satan himself. And I think about what Ephesians says, how we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Who put that idea in her head? Who put that thought in her heart? Curse God and die. Well, it was the devil. Because he just told God that's exactly what he's about to do. (laughs) And so the details here about, you know... (laughs) I mean, even the people that, he le- that Satan didn't kill, there was a reason for that. He spared one servant for each tragedy so he- there would be that one person to show up and give Job the bad news. That was planned out. Here, Satan kills Job's children, but he leaves his wife. You would think, well, certainly he would want to take out his wife. That would just make the trial that much worse. In fact, I know, I know this is kind of humorous and it's kind of my sanctified imagination getting away from me a little bit, but maybe not. I can almost see Satan and his demons talking about that one. And the demons are like, well, Satan, are you sure you don't want us to take out his wife? He's like, no, trust me on this one. Just, just leave her, you know. <laughs> and uh, so even, even that was planned out. I mean, his, his wife has given him this horrible advice, and I know she's been through a lot too. I don't, I don't mean to, to shed a bad light on her. I mean, she went through a lot just like Job did, but she reacted wrongly. And God in his ear hole about that and, and discouraged him, I'm sure. Discouraged him in all this. No support at all. None. And so um, our trials are extremely planned out in detail. His, you know, if you look at Job's trials, they were spiritual, they were physical, they were financial, but also it was relational. Now, th- now think about this. Now, as I've mentioned, the past few years Job has become... My personal friend, I've I've read through it quite a few times. Um, every time I didn't read everything. Sometimes I skip what Job and Job's friends said because they didn't have anything good to say anyway. But one thing that, on a personal level, that just struck me, and I mean it was just a light bulb moment that I've never seen before. But it really hit home with how I, I'm affected in the trial that we've been in for over three years now. But that is um, when you get in a trial like this there's a certain isolation, there's a certain aloneness that you know it's a divine division. And when I look at Job's trial, here's what amazed me. In 42 chapters, I I believe if I'm correct about this, and I believe I'm right about this, in 42 chapters, um, except for the very end as we're going to see, Job only interacted with five people. Uh, you had his three friends and his wife. And every one of those tore him down and gave him horrible advice. And the only person that gave him good advice um, was only in it for like two chapters. And he was just a guy in passing, you know. Um, and so, this is amazing to me. Think about this. Job was one of the most well-known wealthy men in the region. He had He had acquaintances, He had friends. He had people they had business dealings with. He knew a lot of people. And in his darkest hour, where are they at? Where are they at? Forty-two chapters. Where are they at? It's like a divine division. It's like, I mean, you can say maybe it was God, maybe it was Satan, but certainly God was in control of it. It's like God had put up a wall. And and I love what Stephen Lawson said in, in a book I just read, On Job, by him. And he said, at first... God had a hedge around Job to protect him. But after the trial started, the hedge was around Job to keep him in. And it's almost as if God supernaturally kept anyone from Job that would have brought him any kind of comfort. So his trial was very relational in nature. And man, I tell you, you talk about being in a position where literally God is the only thing that you have to reach for. Because I mean, if you're like me, when you get in when you get in those serious trials, I mean don't you you want to reach for those people. You reach for maybe maybe it's mom or maybe it's dad or or your spouse or maybe a pastor or a preacher friend or this or that. And and sometimes God will put you in a position where well, those people ain't there. And even if they are there, they're not there. And I've seen even in my own life it's it's felt like a supernatural division between me and people. That I would have sought for comfort. And it's, it's just like it's not there. And I know there's a lot of distance between us, but it's still there's just something extra to it. And here's what here's the part that really blew my mind. And um, let's go to Job 42. I'm not giving any spoiler alerts, but I can't not point this particular thing out. Talking about a divine division and just how intricate and planned our trials are and just how much control God has over our trials look at Job 42 verses 11 and 12 now at this point God has already showed up in the whirlwind he's already condemned Job's friends and now he is about to release the captivity of Job and give him double what he has but this verse 11 just blew me out of the water I'll begin in 10 to give context. Verse 10, it says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And listen at this. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all they that had been of his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and every one an earring of gold. Where were they at for 42 chapters? His sisters and his family and his acquaintances and all them that were of his acquaintance before the trial. Listen, in verse 10, God turns the captivity of Job. He takes that away and one verse later, all those people come to comfort him. It's like there was a shield there before. And so I'm telling you, friend, God is in control of our trials, even to the point of removing people in our lives that would bring us comfort. To where the only place we have left is to look up. Where it's literally just us and God. That's all all there is. That's the most intimate, intricate trial I can think of. And so I want you, as you go through your trials, I want you to look for these things. You don't have to be obsessed with them. But I don't, I don't want you to miss them. And, you know, there's been some things that, that God has done in our past, I mean, even, even trials that we have come through and look back on. I mean, I could be here all night talking about that. I mean, even things that may not mean anything to anybody else. I know um, when Leah lost two babies in the second trimester, uh, you know, one was early enough where she was able to do a DNC, but one was far enough along she had to give birth to a stillborn. That was hard. I mean, that was, that was so difficult. And, you know, emotionally, that's probably the lowest she's ever been. And, man, it was just tearing her up. And, uh, I mean, just made her physically ill, just sick. And, obviously, you know, I was pastoring a church and uh, working a part-time job at the time and had a lot going on. And, uh, you know, the kids were a lot younger. And so, you know, it, it was it, she, she really felt alone during that time. And she said that during that time, she said it's never happened before and it's never happened since. I talked about how God can sometimes shield us from things, but sometimes He sends us things where you know it was just Him. And she said it's never happened before or since, but she said every, every day during that time for months when she was at her lowest, she said there was, a, there was a robin that would come perch on the windowsill right at the headboard of our bed and would just sing for 30 minutes to an hour. And she said it happened so much and so frequently that she knew that it that was just God doing something for her that meant, meant nothing to anybody else but her. And so um, it's very intimate, beautiful, sometimes tragic thing our trials are. And But I want you to understand that whereas Satan means it for evil and destruction, God means it for our good and his glory. And so that's what we, we have to keep that in mind. And so I I think this will probably conclude the part where we analyze our trials and next week we'll begin to see Job's friends, the, the, the people that God did allow into his life, that gives this just wonderful spiritual advice. You ever been in a trial and have some know-it-all try to tell you everything you're supposed to do, think and feel? Yeah, we're going to see those guys next week. But uh, I would just encourage you, really, I mean, to to give control of it to God. That's all we can do. That's where our comfort comes from, to trust Him. That's all the question boils down to